Fisher Adams apple from the front of your neck to the back. Now a leaping flying body press. Illegal. And that is going to be illegal because he got him with an elbow, but they're not going to call anything. This referee might as well be home watching TV. Correct. Mary Smilak looking on, pounding in disgust. As trying to get to his feet now is Rick staggering around. Oh, look at this. It's an overhead body slam. This week, we cover a movie that includes a bunch of fighting, planned fighting, scripted fighting, and the type of real fighting behind the scenes that gets lawyers involved. Returning with a newly blown out asshole and throat hole is myself, Kevin. Not responsible for any of that is my co-host, Jim. Hey now, I would hope not. Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. You're going to have to stay until the end of the episode to get the payoff for that tease. This is the Pool Scene Podcast, Season 12, Struts On, with the perfect combination of rock and roll and wrestling. We are covering Body Slam from 1986, directed by Hal Needham. Yeah, Hal Needham. We can give you Needham's filmography, or you can go back and visit Season 5, Episode 1 of this podcast where we covered... Rad. Basically, I would say the Rushmore of Hal Needham is Smokey and the Bandit, Cannonball Run, Rad, and Body Slam. Hell yeah. If you exclude Body Slam, add Hooper. Oh, Hooper's great too. So, and like there's, I include all the sequels with Smokey and the Bandit and Cannonball Run. I saw that, you son of a bitch! You did that on purpose! Oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's true, but those sequels, holy shit. Needham rewrote a lot of the script on the fly along with star Kirk, Dirk Benedict. I almost called him Kirk Dennegan. I don't, <laughs> Kirk Dennegan. That's like a fake We Kirk need to Vonnegut. do a behind the scenes of Kirk Dennegan. So he, yeah, they rewrote a lot of the script together while filming Dirk Benedict and Hal Needham. In a type of move that we surprisingly haven't covered on this podcast, the original writers who were a pair of attorneys sued Needham and Benedict for rewriting the script. Attorneys. Yes. Writing a wrestling movie. Yeah, right. All exactly. Right. Makes sense. Also somewhere in there, Benedict was in an actual physical altercation with the writer Steve Burkow. The fight was broken up by Roddy Piper. Stop it. No. Put on the glasses. Hopefully Benedict hit Burko with like a DDT or a bulldog or like a crossbody or drop Do kick. something like a real gimmicked move. Yeah. So all of the lawsuits led to this movie not getting a theatrical release. Oh. That was kind of the, yeah, you guys want to rewrite our movie? We're not, Fuck we're going to block you from it being released. It's a shame that this went straight to VHS because it was the final theatrical film of Hal Needham. Axe the Cannibal, played by real wrestler The Barbarian, took advantage of the open bar policy one night at the hotel <laughs> and was arrested and jailed for beating up some police officers. Sounds about right. Did he know Haku? This wasn't the only fight Barbarian was involved in during filming. Along with his on-screen tag partner, played by the wrestler Tejo Khan, they staged an air quotes, real bloody fight with Roddy Piper on set in order for the extras to take them seriously. So apparently when they were filming some of the wrestling scenes, the crowd was like, wait a minute. The, they were doing like movie style worked 
punches. Yeah, they were being gimmicked. Yeah, and so basically, I guess Barbarian, somebody, Piper, whoever it was, was like, hey, they're not buying this. Like, let's... And then they... Full shoot. Yeah, went full shoot. They bladed. They were all bloody and shit, and then I guess everybody was scared. We're using insider terms, everybody. You gotta get get on board. Yeah, so Jim, no theatrical release, but please give us any budget information along with the news and number ones at time of release. From WUAB Channel 43, where the news comes first. This is the 10 o'clock news. So Body Slam came out September 10th, 1986. And speaking of the theatrical release and the lawsuits that you talked about, I did a deep dive, very deep dive. It had a super limited theatrical release. Oh, okay. So it did get something. Super. And this is the something. It made $14,926. <laughs> However, like you said, it went direct to video and this is where it became an absolute cult classic. And you could watch this on Tubi right now for I don't know how much so longer. Based on ticket prices back in 86, that's yeah, probably three bucks. About 3,000, 5,000 people saw this movie. Just about. So speaking of direct to video, let's give you some VHS releases at a new store we have not talked about yet on this podcast. Throwing it back old school, 1986 style, Elm Road. This is what came out at Murphy's Mart. Oh, sweet. Murphy's Smart, you are smart. Go back to school shop, Murphy's Smart. Speaking of which, we talked about it. How Needham, Rad, the movie that didn't hold up that I rewatched a couple months ago that I really liked a couple years ago, Bloody Birthday, which is a weird premise of a movie, three kids yeah. being a murderer. Okay, pretty cool. And the Star Wars trilogy, the first VHS release that has the goodies where you find those things sealed now, you're making a good amount of money. But at Murphy's Mart, everybody, you know, they had a couple movies. Toy section sucks. So you know what you do? You haul your ass out to Champion, Ohio, because you go to Hills because that is where the toys are. You pick up your brand new toy line, the Centurions. Centurions! Power Extreme! Skybolt comes as shown, figures sold separately. Which is a pretty cool toy line. Not as good as the Visionaries, but you had the Centurions. Make sure you go into that bucket bin, go into the clearance aisle, get those WWF LJN figures because the prices are starting to go down a bit. Where was where was Hills and Champion? Right across from Kent Trumbull. You know where the Arby's is there? The flea market? No, not the flea market. It was next to the flea market. It's where like True Value is. And it was that plaza. That was gotcha. Hills. I do remember that, I think. Because I remember we would go out there because I grew up in I Warren. I just know the Hills where Best Buy is now like that. Yeah. Well, Ames, Hills. Yep, there was a hills everywhere. Missed those days. Those were the best days. The number one movie in America at this time was Stand By Me. Run, fat ass, run! And then the number one song coming off the Top Gun soundtrack, Berlin, the song that tore the band apart, Take My Breath Away. Take my breath On to some news on the television front, Kevin. Oprah 
The Big O, Oprah Winfrey debuts her talk show. Oprah's coming home, Baltimore, starting September 8th, only on Channel 2. And the world enters the drama of the courtroom with L.A. Law. Jimmy Smith's in the house. In a big, last season, WTF move, Bobby returns to TV show Dallas. His death is attributed to his wife's bad dream, erases the entire storyline of the previous season. Really? It was all a dream. He was revived at the last minute. He's an imposter. You've been guessing long enough. Friday, get your friends together and find out the truth. What the hell's going on there? What's going on is the two-hour CBS season premiere of Dallas. They wanted Patrick Duffy back so bad that they literally popped his death into a dream and said, you know what? It was all a dream. I used oh, to read no. Word Up magazine, Salt and Pepper, Heavy D up in a limousine. And they proceeded to say, hey, we fucked up. Last season doesn't really count. So Dallas the Juggernaut. And two days ago on that date was the Who Shot JR episode, one of the biggest angles in television history. Dallas at that time, everybody. Who did shoot JR? I can't remember off the top of my head. This is CNN Breaking News. Pool Sceners, editing Jim coming at you right now to tell you the person who shot JR on the Who Done It episode that was aired November 21st, 1980. The person who pulled the trigger was revealed to be Kristen. And Kristen was JR's scheming sister-in-law and mistress who shot him in a fit of anger. Oh, fucking gross. This is CNN Breaking News. It was also a dream. He actually didn't get shot. <laughs> no, he didn't. On to movie? Question mark news. 3D short film Captain EO with Michael Jackson premieres at Disney theme parks. Really interesting Captain EO was. Never saw it. I know of it. It's Michael Jackson's I, weird little. I like those Michael Jackson movies. It was there for a long, there long like, time. Yeah, there's like the, which one is it? Is it? Is it called Michael Jackson's Moonwalker that yeah. has the uh, smooth criminal video yeah, within that's it. it? Love that one. It's so weird. It's, it's very strange. It's strange. We should cover that. That'd be smart to do. They had the Genesis game that was different than the arcade game. Love it. Michael Jackson was such a fucking enigma. Who was it an enigma? His name is Kurt Loder. I'm Kurt Loder with an MTV News Brief. In some somber news at this time, 1986, Metallica bassist Cliff Burton dies Damn. in a tragic bus accident. And that caused so much rifts and ripples throughout Metallica that we've covered before in a Swim Eat series episode of Metallica, Some Kind of Monster. I, I think we talked about it. I mean, not to, to harp on his death, yeah. but I think we talked about his death where him and Kirk Hammett like switch seats from nor where they normally yeah. sit. And then it's like the bus driver flipped the bus basically because of road conditions. And then like Cliff got pinned yeah. and they like basically watched and like couldn't do anything. So yeah. it's like really horrible. Like messed him up bad. And then we know from there, Jay Jason Newstead takes over, and then Robert takes over, and has been there longer than Jason, and it still blows my been damn there, mind. The longest tenured Metallica bassist. Hey, Georgie boy, weather. Good evening, everybody. I'm George Michael, and welcome to the Sports Machine. And being pro Cleveland Browns fans that we are, they became the first team in NFL history to have a play reviewed by instant replay. But typical Cleveland Browns. Still lost the game to the Bears, 41 to 31. And here we are, still haven't improved the process. In fucking... The refs shouldn't have anything to do with it. I the, don't As soon as somebody it. throws a flag, it should go to the sky judge. The XFL has it right with these yeah, things. Yeah, they do. Full transparency. 
They have an overseer, Dean Blandino, seems to know what the hell he's doing. We see what he's doing, then we go from there. I mean, basically, the person in the booth has already, like, as soon as yeah. the play has ended, they've already started watching. Because what we wait for now is like, okay, someone throws a red flag. The refs have to come out in conference. We got to dick around. Then the refs say, okay, you know, Cleveland's challenging the call. Then we got a commercial break. They come back. They're still talking about it. They're finding out what the clock should be, where to set the ball, yeah. all of that. If you go to like a sky judge system like the XFL, as soon as the play is over, someone in the booth is already reviewing the replays. Yeah. They have a pretty good idea of what it is by the time it gets challenged. So basically by the time the challenge flag's thrown, the sky judge says, okay, that was a catch. Put the ball Put here. Put the ball here. Adjust this the time. clock to this. It's perfect. It's Five perfect. minutes. Yes. You're not dicking around. And they're getting it right. You know? That's what's perfect about it. I think if I'm wrong, tell me. The XFL, you can challenge penalty flags too, can't yeah. you? Yeah. Do that in a fucking NFL. I, I think that's an ego thing because like really? remember when uh, pass interference was reviewable for one season only yeah. and the refs like would not overturn them. There'd be like examples of people blatantly tackling. That Saints somebody. game in the playoffs. Yeah, and the refs would just like back to back no. years. Nope. Absolutely ridiculous. And guess what, everybody? It's time to get on that 1986 waterbed and a fabulous Goldstein's that triggered a sexual fantasy that I always wanted to have that never took place. Crack open a can of tab and enjoy some body slam. Back to you, Kevin. All right. So you were talking about not having a budget. Some other 1986 movies, maybe comparable. Short Circuit had a $15 million budget. That first movie scared the shit out of me yeah. to a certain degree. And then the second one made me ball like a baby. <laughs> really? Yeah, because they beat the shit out of uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny Five. Five. Yeah. yeah. So Short Circuit, 15 million. Yep. One Crazy Summer, $9 million budget. Big Trouble in Little China, estimated somewhere between 19 and $25 million. But you got to think a lot of effects, a lot of uh, scenes, yeah. like a lot of sets. So what, where do we want to guesstimate this one? Well, and then one more, Crocodile Dundee was $9 million. Yeah. I'd put Body Slam probably six? around, yeah, somewhere, I would say between 6 and 12. Okay. Because, like, I think they just set up a, a, the ring in a lot of empty rooms yeah. and, and paid extras. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of complicated set. No. I, I think it was all probably shot pretty easily. They did destroy a few luxury vehicles. I would say so. Very so, easily tearing that shit apart. Yeah, like paper. Yeah. Tagline for Body Slam, he's down, but never out. I think they could have, like, you can't pin him down. Like, something. They should have. My like, biggest hardcore adjustment to this is I have Dirk Benedict in his A-team, Dirk Benedict yeah. role, and him playing, like, a, a cocky prick, very hammy cocky prick is kind of difficult for me to adjust yeah. to. Very hammy cocky prick. Yes. That's going to be the next movie we cover. Very hammy cocky prick. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, all right, let's in the plot. Oh, allow me to introduce myself. I'm M. Harry Smilak, personal management. As I stand here gazing at you, I can't help but remember the first time I spotted Christy. Christy who? Brinkley. Oh, yeah, it's one of my Brinkley. many finds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was long before Billy Joel still had braces on her teeth. Yeah, of course, we had to find a way to work around that. And uh, you see, so much of what shapes a career is in the management, and that's what I do. Our movie follows M. Harry Smilak. What a fucking name. <laughs> what kind of name is Smilak? He used to be a successful music promoter, but now he's barely able to get any gigs at all for his one lone client, a rock band called Kick or Kicks. Somehow, Smilak gets a job to book musical acts for a fundraiser for the unpopular senator. And I am now appointing you entertainment chairman. <laughs> Norton Wilshire. 
I can't believe this, Shelly. I mean, you've always had impeccable taste. Norton Wilshire, I mean, he's a pompous, phony windbag. He's, he's, he's dickless. Harry, cool it, all right? I'm not asking you to vote for the man. I just want you to do what you do best, just arrange the acts. Well, You know, this could be just what you need to get back on your feet. Back on my feet. I start calling in favors for a Norton Wilshire fundraiser. I'll be history in the music business. Harry, I'm giving you a chance here. No, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I just cannot do it. You know, I have a few principles left. Yeah. Well hidden. And Smilak only takes the job because he owes the bank like something like $69,000. Something ridiculous. And he's behind on car payments. The job sucks, but Smilak has basically has it bad for one of the campaign boosters daughters. Yeah. Candace. Tanya Roberts. Yeah, there you go. So I I think he takes like, it's so shitty because I think he takes the job knowing he's never going to get like, because they're expecting him to get like Streisand and Springsteen. He half asses his way through everything to find absolute success. Yeah, he's a terrible person. Horrible. Uh, While recruiting musicians, Smilak mistakes wrestler Quick Rick Roberts for a musician, and he hires him on the spot. McMillan tells me some baby brain creep showed up. Made a deal for you. That's right. What? That's right. You think you're leaving me? Captain Lou Marano, the man who made you? I took you out of nowhere! Hey, don't touch the captain. Now you listen to me. No, now you listen. We got a deal. We ain't got no deal on nothing. I got somebody else doing my talking for me. You tell me who. How dare is that a... David Wolf? Jimmy the Weasel? Smilak. Smilak, Smilak! What is that, a stomach disorder or a disease? But again, he just sees him in this management meeting and then he's like, who you with? Where have you played? Yeah. And like, he's like, I put 10,000 people in the, but how can somebody that knows musical acts so good be that fucking just yeah, trigger happy? Uh, yes. just- so he's like, I want to sign you to a contract. No, and no, he, the fuck he is. Then he finds out he's a wrestler. So Rick has a tag partner called Tonga Tom that Smilak also takes on as a client as well. I'm telling you, this guy is great. I saw more green last night than I ever saw with the captain in my entire career. If you need management, you need this guy. He's got all the moves. Oh, well, Rick, we all have moves. I mean, yours are in the ring. Mine just happened to be at the bargaining table. You know, oh, but enough about me. Tell me something about yourself, Tom. I mean... Tonga Tom. Tonga Tom, right. Right. I need someone who takes no crap. Tough. Tough. Right. Well, that's me. Personal management at its toughest. When Smilak learns that Rick isn't a musician, he decides, you know, I'll follow through anyway as a wrestling manager, since he's not exactly setting the world on fire as a music manager. Speaking of which, the fundraiser is a disaster because he lets Kick play the event. Who do you think will be first, Frank or Barbara? Julio. Hmm. Again, they're expecting... It's a stuffy Republican-esque yes, right. convention. They're expecting Barbara, Bruce Springsteen. They get kick. Yeah. And Smilak's now feuding with a rival wrestling manager, Lou Murano. <laughs> 
Murano's team, the Cannibals, who are the tag team champions, they injure Smilak on a nationally televised event. While recovering, Smilak gets an idea and takes his tag team and his band on a national tour of small venues. Yeah, rock and wrestling. He advertises these as separate events until a mix-up with a guy named Elmo causes the two to get combined. Come on, I've posted a thousand dollar guarantee. I've got musicians to pay. What, what am I going to do with only one night? You know, my daddy used to say, if you only got 10 bucks and you're going down to the cat house, you better get the most bang for the buck. You get it? Bang for the buck. <laughs> That's a good... <laughs> I'm going to have to run down and tell Floyd and the boys at the barber shop. <laughs> bang for the buck. <laughs> oh, bang for the buck. Rock and wrestling becomes a huge success, which pisses off Lou Murano. On national television, Lou challenges Smilak to bring his team to challenge the cannibals for the tag titles. The movie ends with Rick and Tonga Tom winning the tag belts and becoming new champions. What I will say is like the most cardboard looking tag belts. There's no WWF no. mentioning this, which is kind of weird. Yeah, it's there's not even like territories. And to it's be quite just honest, like, the ending kind of just abruptly happens and yeah. that's it. Basically, the second that you're like, wait a minute, those look cardboard. It's freeze frame and movie ends. We're done. It's like fade to black. We can't, we can't let this go on too long or you'll be able to tell that, you know, we made these with the cardboard box and spray paint. Characters, Dirk Benedict, like Jim said, of A-Team fame is M. Harry Smilak. He was Needham's first choice for the role based on Benedict's work on the television show A-Team. Benedict worked with Hogan, Hulk Hogan, on an episode of A-Team, and he only found out that wrestling was scripted while filming this movie. Because he's an adult fucking idiot. <laughs> Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Uh, I mean, I was in distress when I was a 13-year-old kid and I found out wrestling was scripted. Okay. I gave up wrestling. Really? I was so pissed. We'll talk about it later. Uh, Roddy Piper as Quick Rick Roberts. Yeah. For some reason, they bill him Rick Quick Rick Roberts. Whatever. uh, Rick Quick Rick. Redundancy Rick. (laughs) That's from the uh, Department of Redundancy Department. (laughs) Sam Fatu as Tonga Tom, real wrestler from the famous Anoy family. How do you say it? Anoai. Known as the Tonga Kid. Kelly Martin. Martin is Missy Roberts. Several years after being in the movie, she mentioned that the film, you know, she kind of shit on it. She called it a flop. She uh, had bad things to say after the fact. Tanya Roberts as Candace Vanderwegen, Captain Lou Albano as Captain Lou Murano. <laughs> You had Afa and Sika, the Wild Samoans, also from the famous Anui family. They play bodyguards. Sione Valhai and Thomas Leroy Cassatt, which is better known as the Barbarian yeah. and Tasia Khan. They uh, came from Jim Prockett. Jim Crockett Promotions, uh, so on and so forth. Charles Nelson Riley is Vic Carson. He's great. Uh, who else do we want to mention? Anyone else? The guy who plays Tim McCluskey. The, the oh, little yeah. person. The LP who plays Tim McCluskey yeah. is Billy Barty. Yeah, Billy Barty. And then uh, at the end, you get some cameos from Rick Flair, Freddie Blassie, Adnan, Al Cassie. I guess, yeah, Al Cassie's. Yeah. The uh, Sheik. The Sheik, yeah. And then uh, Bruno Sammartino. No Hogan, which I found very weird that Hogan was not in this movie. Yeah, he probably wouldn't be in it because Flair was or something. That's so, Jim, point. any actor, actors give a past performance? Did you know? Did you did you like anyone? I have two: Charles Nelson Riley, Billy Barty. Welcome to the show. Kid. 
Now, Tim handles the smaller wrestlers in the business. And I know, Tim, that my viewers are very anxious to hear the long and the short of it. No more midget jokes, geek face, or I'll check you. <laughs> Tim, you are a con. Absolutely tremendous. His character of Vic Carson, he plays... Not very PC, we'll say that. Let's say this right off the bat. Throughout the 80s, Charles Nelson Riley was on Match Game a lot. And yeah. it was always insinuated, and he was poked fun of for being homosexual, yes. but never, ever, I believe, never came out. But that was the running joke. Billy Barty in this was a very well-known little person actor at this time. They take liberties with offensive commentary. Yes. Not just him against Charles Nelson Riley, the manager of the two guys that are after Harry. The yeah, bodyguards, yes. they throw around Smyrak yeah, like, oh, constantly. It's like, Look, Mr. Kim, you guys remember you took me to court, you lost. You have a good lawyer, Mr. Smyrak? I know. But in my country, we have a saying. I understand. But what can I do? I mean, the judge made his decision. It's legal, even in Japan. Korea, Mr. Smarek, not Japan. He's a Korean yeah. bank. And they make fun of him. Person. Don't they call him Japanese? He's yeah. like, I'm not Japanese, yeah, I'm he, Korean. He tells him he's hungry for egg foo young. He's like, I'm, chi I'm not Chinese. It's constant. It's constant. It's a whole recurring thing. But the banter between Charles Nelson Riley and Billy Barty, as offensive as it is on that talk show with Lou Albano, it's pretty damn yeah. good. Yeah. I love the play between all of them. Then you add in Dirk Benedict. Like I said, he plays the cocky, arrogant, California almost lawyer type, and it clashes with all of them, especially with Albano. It's great stuff. I have a thing for movies that star. We know that Piper can act. We've seen him do yeah. it. We like, I'm not going to say Hogan could act at all, but like, no. but he was a thing. It was its it own was, thing. Yeah. It was a thing and people liked it enough that it happened a lot. You got Cena, Batista and the rock. And we've talked about this before, but what I like is when you end up with random wrestlers and things, just throw them in there and like barbarian in this. I hear you left the captain. So what? The captain's mad. That's his problem. It's not my problem. It's gonna be yours because the captain doesn't like when his wrestlers leave. And we don't like it when the captain doesn't like it. <laughs> and if we don't like it, you won't like it. Amazing. Just stumbling around mumbling things. Anytime you see a wrestler who's not known as like an acting wrestler, but yeah. just a random wrestler. Give him four lines. Give me that all the time. He's I a bruiser. It. I love it so much. That leads us to best scenes. And I will start with yes. another one of those random things. So during the final scene, I love this. During the final scene, the cannibals come out and kick is playing a concert in the ring before the match. They're playing their song. Yes, exactly. And the cannibals come out. They trash the guitars and the drums. Yeah, typical. And so they've introduced all the wrestlers that are there to see this. And I don't know why. It's my favorite thing. Oh, God. Bruno Sammartino sucker punches a fan. Yeah, I say, yeah, that's right. Get out of the ring, Lou. 
Was it a shoot punch? I don't know. Bruno is like yelling for the cannibals to get out of the yeah. ring because apparently he was really enjoying Kick's performance. Yeah, because Bruno San Martino is into rock. So Bruno is like yelling in the ring, and I don't know how old Bruno is at this point. He's probably he's probably those guys never really hung it up. Let's be like, honest, it's older. I mean, yeah, people that's looked older. older. He might be late forties, early fifties. Yeah, older Bruno. Yeah, he's probably done. Who knows? But he's yelling in the ring to for the, the cannibals to get out of the ring. Well, this guy appears a, a fan to brush against him. He put his hand on his shoulder. Yeah, don't I, fuck with Bruno. I mean, like he's not trying to fight Bruno. He's just like he's probably like, hey Bruno, can I get your autograph? Bruno turns around and just punches the guy in the face. It's like PTSD. It's not even it's a like, natural reaction. Bruno's not a heel. No, he's he, never been. Never. He was like the biggest baby face of all time, and he legitimately he punches a fan in the face, which then starts a riot. It's the dumbest fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> So my first one, I love in the locker room where Harry is trying to evade everybody who shows up in a dress. Yeah. Yo, lady, the powder room's down the hall. Right. Look, Missy, if Bitsy Vandervagen or Sheldon Brockmeister call, I'm not here, all right? Sounds like Harry. I don't look like Harry. Ah, look, guys, there's a, there's a very good explanation why I'm dressed sure. like this. Sure there is, and I'd love to tell you, but we've got a wrestling match in five minutes, so come on, let's go, huh? And for some reason, Roddy Piper thinks it's a woman yeah. in there. The fucking banter back and forth between Harry Tonga Tom and Quick Rick in that locker room scene. It's so dumb it's good. There's a lot of so dumb it's good in this movie. If you haven't watched this movie in... It's on Tubi. It's on Tubi. If you haven't watched it in decades, you're like, this movie is not... Yeah. not it's a lot of memories i like that locker room scene it's funny in that scene too because it's like he's there in, in disguise essentially did, did he bent over into the locker did not have to come in a dress or anything he could have just worn a hat his team goes to the ring starts getting their ass kicked because the cannibals show up yeah. unannounced you know they were supposed to wrestle who knows who and the cannibals show up instead so he ends up having to go out to the ring as a woman This is for you. You had a wrestling tonight, Swilek. Which, how does anyone explain that to anyone? No, like, not at all. Wait, is their manager? Is it a different whatever? Yeah. So very weird. I have something we, we briefly mentioned, which is the banker brings the wild Simones to get the sixty-seven thousand dollars he owns the bank. You know this isn't funny. Sixty-seven thousand eight hundred eleven thousand nineteen cents. I have powerful friends in very high places. I'm powerful too, and the closer. Ah. Uh, uh, and then they tear apart his landlord's car like paper it's like the car None of that car was it it was no. put together by tape yes they pull the pieces of the car off like lego pieces and i like the fact that he's on a date he has this his all his dates are the same it's the same every time. Let's take a jacuzzi. Yeah. He fakes an injury. Let's take a jacuzzi. Yeah. yeah. He has a great beach house for how he still owns that beach house. No clue. Yeah. He has no money. Meanwhile, she plays the damsel in distress. Yeah. Oh, oh, 
None of these cars get destroyed no. or ever his cars. No, never are. No, never Smilex cars. He basically steals his landlord's car from the, the dealership. That's a huge logic thing. Yeah. He constantly steals shit from people and he, nothing happens. His uh, The girl he's trying to date, which is the campaign booster's yeah. daughter, Vanderwagen, he has her Rolls Royce, which they take to like an old 80s yeah. roller skate diner place. I would never fucking take a Rolls Royce to a, <laughs> to place a roller like. skate diner. Yeah, hey, let's eat fucking chili dogs in a Rolls it's Royce. Like A&W. Yeah. Don't get it on the upholstery. And my last one, the talk show segments. Great. Okay. How about uh, two weeks from Saturday and uh, the tag team belt Whoa. goes along with it. I didn't say nothing about championship belt. That uh, blimpo uh, finally uh, showed his uh, true colors uh, right here uh, on your show, Vic, in front of millions of people. You can't fool the public. Hey, I'm not trying to fool anybody. I never back off a fight. Oh. But let's make sure there's no way to weasel out, especially from a wussy like oh. you, Smilek. Oh. So we put the belts on the line and our wrestlers' contracts win a take-all. You got it! And you heard it here, folks, on Ring Talk. For the greatest wrestler, two top managers. I can't know about you, but I can't wait for this one, Jim. What do you think about this? Yeah, there's it's two just, of them. Yeah, there's two of them. The crowd is weird. It's almost set up like an NWA house show arena. Nuns in the crowd randomly. You have bikers in the crowd fucking randomly. You have Tim McCluskey being the most racist and offensive little person I've ever seen on film. You got Harry acting like a cocky brick. You got Albano. And then you have Charles Nelson Riley, who is a perfect mediator. And I think to this day, Charles Nelson Riley had no idea he was doing a movie. He thought he was really in a shoot wrestling program because he is so out of his element. <laughs> I don't know how they got Charles Nelson Riley for I, this. I don't, it's awesome. He doesn't man. fit. But then again, I'm thinking it's because of Needham because Charles Nelson Riley was in Cannonball Run 2. So maybe he got I, it on I dirt think, cheap. Yeah, I think Needham had his his guys. He liked yeah. Use. My final scene when rick comes to visit five o'clock shadow disheveled hair harry which is the best version of harry rick you're wasting your time all right you know there's only two things in my life that matters harry that's wrestling a little princess little missy i'll tell you what made that all possible it's wrestling harry wrestling made that possible and i'll tell you something you're gonna quit on me and i gotta go back to licking the captain's boots well, mister, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be just like you. I'm going to quit, too. Rick, even if I wanted to, which I don't, but even if I wanted to, I couldn't book us a match in a major arena anywhere. No one's going to sign with us if it means fucking the cap. Oh, it's so good. Because, like, he basically, well, after they get their asses kicked by the cannibals. This is downtrodden Harry yes. at the beach house. He looks awesome. He does. He looks way better. But Razor Ramon. Yeah. It's so weird because, like, Rick and Tonga got their asses kicked. And they're so fucking happy in the hospital. Yeah. Harry goes to see him, and he's, like, very upset. He's like, my guy's got their asses kicked. Tonga's got the biggest smile on his face, which is obviously CTE. And he's like... <laughs> Hey, Harry, how's it going? It's like, you have brain damage. And uh, see I got five o'clock shadow. Yeah, but like he's so depressed, he quits. He gives them their contracts back and he goes home. So when Rick finally shows up, Harry's got the, because his hair is like Lego hair. It's like, it's perfect. Slicked down, perfect hard, coif. yeah, gelled hair. Yeah. And then clean shaven. So when he shows up, he's got the five o'clock shadow. He's got the disheveled hair. All he's missing is a dart. Yes, right, exactly. So he's sitting on his stairs, staring at the ocean, and he has the epiphany about the tour running the smaller venues combining yeah. rock and wrestling which is genius and then we get our first of two montages of them on the road doing these shows and we also need to make sure you guys understand in this universe wrestling is real yes it's still real to me damn it there 
There's nothing scripted. This no. is real. Yes. Because we don't get, you know, insider info because at the time, wrestling was so super protective in yeah. real life that heels could not be seen with faces yes. even on the same plane. They booked separately. Even though, who was that? Sheik and Duggan got arrested yeah. in Cleveland for riding together, smoking crack. Exactly. And it exposed the business because yeah. people weren't mad about them smoking crack. They were mad about, why are these two guys in a car together? Yeah. So every wrestling movie, this one, no holds barred. Wrestling equals reality. Just yeah. so you guys know, there it makes more sense. All right. Definitely a pool in this one. hundred oh, percent. Oh, there's definitely pools. There's an ocean. So guess what? Smyrak pull check. All right. I feel like we've done this before, but we're, if we did, we're going to ignore it. Jim says we didn't. I don't think we did. We're going to be talking best wrestling entrance themes. So growing up, I can remember kids at my school saying Hulk Hogan was the first wrestler to ever use entrance music. Entrance music actually goes back to the 1950s with Mildred Burke was the first, a woman was the first one to use entrance music. Gorgeous George used pomp and circumstance, the macho man theme. So it goes back to the fifties in the 1970s, Chris Colt would come to the ring to welcome to my nightmare and then after the match he had an exit theme where he he would leave to no more Mr. Nice Guy. Dude, how great. Why don't wrestlers have entrance and exit themes? I don't know. He would go to the ring, welcome to my nightmare, Alice Cooper, and leave no more Mr. Nice Guy. Also Alice Cooper. And then remember, Flair in 82 had the theme to 2001 already. So it's like, it's already been established. Hogan was not number one. Yeah. So while Hogan didn't invent the idea, I think he's probably responsible for the importance of entrance music along with the Freebirds, the fabulous Freebirds and the junkyard dog probably yeah. were a big reason entrance music became such a big part of the presentation unfortunately due to licensing most wrestlers now use original in-house made themes with wrestling companies having like their own composer yeah, or contracts or, with yeah, somebody contracts. Like downstate yeah so we're going to be talking about some of our favorites and best jim you go ahead and go first i'm at first on best scenes so right number five for me growing up being an NWA slash WCW fan, Surfer Sting, when you yeah. would hear that opening riff, I was so excited because for NWA slash WCW, the ultimate babyface was Sting. He was their Hogan equivalent. And quite honestly, no offense, had basically the wrestling skill are almost identical if you look back and on retrospect but blonde flat tops face paint early 90s color schemes your pink your greens your yellows and that song was just the the absolute epitome of baby face wrestler sting yeah. number five okay so my number five is Sami Zayn worlds apart oh so good so Sammy in real life he's really into like ska punk rock and that sort of scene so he got WWE to make him a ska theme and I I do sort of have like a love hate relationship with this one because like it's a banger i like it yeah. i like i have it on my my spotify playlist like, i like it's when a it great comes on. sing-along song but i despise how artificial the instruments sound because it's like keyboard yeah. horns you know it's not real horns yeah it's stereotypical everything's made with like a um casio yeah casio basically yeah, All effects the drums the keyboard the horns like the guitars everything is artificial instruments so like i want to hear this made by a real I want to hear it live. I bet. I bet there is 
I bet some ska band somewhere probably made a real version of this. And WWE gave him a hundred bucks to steal it. Yeah, probably. So we'll my number. Up. So my number four. I'm going Hogan here, real American, Rick Derringer. There you go. Something just as a kid, even to this day sometimes, excluding the individual that Hulk Hogan is in real life, even though now he walks around wearing John 316 shirts, he's found God, even yeah. though he fucking didn't really raise this shit. He also found Jinkos. I love those pictures of him and Jinkos. And he also shouldn't have ate that sushi. And uh, he jammed that jam as well. <laughs> <laughs> He has a tattoo that says, I am what I am, but it 100% looks like it says, jam that jam. It says, jam that jam. <laughs> it looks like. Jam that jam. Thank you, Russell Talk, for bringing that up. But something about, I mean, you can't think of fucking 80s without Hulk Hogan and that theme song. Yeah. And it just, as it's, a kid, it inspired you. Rick Derringer really got something with that one. Damn, that opening I mean, fucking like, riff. Jeez. Fight for your rights. Fight for what's right. Whatever the fuck he says. <laughs> to party. Uh, fight for to party. I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy, sexy, but which version? Uh, I do have a spot in my heart for the Sherry I version. I do, too. So, like... HBK, uh, by yeah, the way. Yeah, HBK, yeah. yeah. Uh, Shawn Michaels. And, you know, it's, it's just so weird to me that the theme was there before DX... Yeah. And then he'd come out to the DX theme because like during DX, he didn't come out to sexy boy, but no, then it's came like, out the DX. but then after DX, he went back to using sexy boy. He looks like a fucking melted marshmallow monster. Now age has not gracefully done no, well for him. This was a playboy. Like he had the beautiful hair. This was, He's a nice looking guy. This was, I mean, the epic photo of Shawn Michaels was the play on Burt Reynolds' yeah. playgirl. Spread. Yes. Exactly. And then he lost all his hair. And his smile. And his smile. And his eyes went wonky, which. Off I think, a cane choke slam. Yeah. A random cane slam, choke yep. slam. And like, he looks. Wow. Like. <laughs> Rough. I mean, he, he does not. He's no longer a sexy boy. No. But when he does appear on on TV, it's he still comes out. I always found it weird, like when he came back, and you know he went through his demons and stuff like that, and he found God. Good for him. But incorporating sexy boy and then doing a drop down to your knees prayer in the middle of sexy boy <laughs> is the most contradictory thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, we I'm do. just a sexy boy. Hey, Jesus. We, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on how we feel about about Sean and, and even Hogan, his behavior post uh, born again Christian. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, we might have to revisit that one yeah. day because it's a, he's an, a very interesting person. Somebody who has a special place in my heart. My number one favorite wrestler of all time. But this might shock you. It's ravishing Rick Rude. But his WCW theme, Simply Ravishing. I love it. It is so fucking WCW. I thought this would be your number one, by the way. I didn't pick it because I was like, oh, Jim's taking that. Yeah. His WCW run, I find, is one of the most underrated runs ever. He had, you know, he was a bang on heel in the WWF at the time. He was Intercontinental Champion, but... For some reason, he never got over the top of that because Hogan, yeah. of course, goes to WCW in like 91 and he starts this stable, which once again, probably one of the best stables of all time with like Eaton and Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco. But holy shit, WCW in the early 90s had this thing where it's like, we need singers. We need to cut original themes. And this song has this singer. It sounds like the most amazing, like she's trying to be like soulful yet like Whitney Houston esque. Yeah, great. It's 
fucking phenomenal. But the cool thing about that was if you listen to the original song itself, and I think this was smart for Rude's entrance, he takes the end part, puts it at the beginning and then runs it. Simply Ravishing is one of the best songs of all time. I mean, by far not on Spotify. I think it's still just on YouTube. I think it's just on YouTube, which is a bomb, right? Because like it would be on every playlist I have. Yeah. It's, a, it's a jam windows down. Oh man. It's great. My number three, Allison chains, man in the box. Oh, Tommy, Tommy dreamer. dreamer in ECW because ECW had, they didn't fucking care. They had a, a, a unique distinction because while WWE was pumping out, you know, Jim Johnson originals, yeah. ECW was like, fuck it. We're using Pearl. Jam, Metallica, yeah. you know, Alice in Chains, but I, purple. I always really liked when Man of the Box would hit. Dreamer would come out, you know, because Dreamer was always like in the best angles and stuff. Oh, God, with Raven and like Sandman. ECW did so great with lights going out or like something to be happening in the ring and they'd interrupt yeah. with like a theme. But when that Man of the Box hit, man, it was awesome. And ECW did this unique thing. When they finally came out with ECW Extreme Music, they yeah. realized, well, fuck, we can't use the original thing. Yeah. So we're going to find these bands to oh, recreate it. It was such a ballsy thing to do, too. It was so ballsy, but I can't remember the band that covered Enter Sandman. Or no, was it Motorhead that covered Enter Sandman? I think Enter they Sandman. did have Motorhead do Enter Sandman. Horrible. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. I So, yeah, it was it was ball. The reason it was ballsy is because it's like, we're going to release an album of, like, classic, you know, yeah. rock songs, and but we're going to have them covered by it's other like RVD came out to Pantera's yeah. block, but this, they couldn't do that, so they did Grinspoon. Grinspoon? No, 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 no. Grinspoon did snap your finger, snap your neck. Just yeah. incredible, which was great. God damn it. I can't remember the Hold band. On, I'm going to look RVD. it up. So we had Bruce Dickinson. Walk was by smudge. Okay. That's it. And then Bruce Dickinson, the zoo. That was Mike. Awesome. Uh, Megadeth did an ECW mix. Yeah. White zombie did do Landstorms. Yeah. El Phantasma, yeah. the chicken worm, Blastorama. Which is cool. Yeah. Monster Magnet did kick out the jams, MC5. Yeah. They had, blues. they had Big Balls, ACDC, which is such a, I love that song. So good. Um, By Muscadine. Yeah. And Who? Then, Never heard of him again. No. And then the weird thing is, is I don't remember this, but it says there's a song on the album called Phantom Lord by Anthrax. Wow. So why didn't Metallica wanted too much? Yeah. So yeah, they ECW used real music and it, it added to it was the so theater. much more. And, and really, I mean, ECW is still great, but after they had to ditch the original music and replace it's it, not the same. it wasn't the same. I don't know what it is. Like they'll have all the stuff on the network, but without the music, like Sandman coming oh, out. To it's, I would rather than mute it yeah. then them come out to those fart noises they so, come out to I'm not at my number one yet but I was literally thinking of number one doing the WWE network theme of the filthy animals in WCW <laughs> because every oh, time yeah. I yes. hear it I laugh yeah. my ass off I've heard that song on Top Gear I've heard that song on ESPN yes. yep. I'm like what the fuck guys that have the name of General Rection coming out to dun, 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 dun. it's like what are yeah. we doing it's horrible <laughs> so my number two speaking of motorhead it's evolution holy shit one of the craziest stables of all time it's such a smart thing of course triple h golden shovel triple h dave batista randy orton and then rick flair still bleeding and i think i think rick flair was 23 at the time when evolution southern, champion. southern champion southern champion i totally forgot about southern champion rick flair that song is so good like yeah. lemmy got into this relationship I, with Triple H, yeah. Fuck. He's like, hey man, I really like these denim vests with leather yeah. jacket sleeves and Lemmy's like, Iron oh, Crosses. We do, you got Jack Daniels. That's, it's not talking about the time he performed at WrestleMania. Uh, that's exactly Lemmy, what I was going to say. Lemmy forgot the lyrics to so, his own song. 
I'm a game. It's a gaming. Triple H has a song called The Game. Yeah. And it was like a cerebral sort of thing. Yeah. But Lemmy, I think, was just like, fuck it. I'm going out there. It, a faster paced song. Honestly, fuck the lyrics. The time he recorded it, I'm sure, is the only time they ever played it or anything. So he didn't even know the words. And yeah, he came out and he was like, I am the game and I play games. And here is a game. game. And he just, <laughs> just sang whatever he wanted. It was like freestyle game. Evolution was so damn good because yeah. it was such a slow build song and what we later deemed as the legacy walk of yeah. Randy Orton. It's just it a perfect pace. It really is a good Motorhead song. Not even so like, good. not even as an entrance theme, but like as a song. As a song. It rules. Yes. My number two, so I return to real artists. So ECW always got away with using real themes. Another company that used real entrance themes and took it one step further was Ring of Honor. Oh, So yeah. I'm picking Brian Danielson to Final Countdown by Europe. <sighs> and so Ring of Honor, so wrestling has traditionally the bike rack guardrails. Oh, yeah. And then WWE eventually replaced guardrails with padded hockey, half hockey walls. For safety, things. we get it. For safety. And look, yeah. I think for aesthetic purposes. Yeah. And it's cool. I always like the walls. But then Ring of Honor had, how do we want to describe these? Bike guardrails with metal tin covers over them that yeah. said Ring of Honor yes. on it. Yes, bike guardrails with car hoods yes, like basically, over yeah. And whenever, I don't know if you can pull any audio of this, of any of these themes, probably not, maybe YouTube I'll clips. try. But whenever a Ring of Honor wrestler would come out, the fans would slap those... <laughs> So it was like a whole... When CM Punk came out to Miseria Canatari. Yeah, exactly. God. Or, you know, uh, the Briscoe Bros, rest yeah. in peace, coming out to give me back my bullets. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you name it. They they would come out and, and everybody would pound the, the guardrails. Doom, yeah. doom, doom, doom. Awesome. Loved it. Danielson would walk to the ring and waste Walker enough time. And wait. And wait. So that as soon as the first time you heard the final countdown, he'd get up on the ropes and everybody would scream, it's the final countdown. That song is so fucking cool. And everybody throw streamers and then Europe sucks. Yeah. Let's talk about that real quick because yeah. I think that's a big fuck up here. So Danielson leaves WWE, goes to AEW, reached out to Europe because he wanted to have his old thing yeah. back. It's a final countdown. Everybody, I remember me and you, man, when he debuts, yep. And we hear that opening beat, the final countdown. People are going to go nuts. Europe wanted $500,000 per play, per play, not just one lump sum per play. Well, Fuck you. That song is in some commercials. Yeah. So how much are they paying? Does Europe just hate wrestling? Maybe it's that. But think about, and, and it's smart, like these wrestling companies, specifically AEW, finding these bands sometimes to do these themes. And then all of a sudden, I mean, CM Punk is the best example yeah. with Living Color. So he comes out to call a personality. All of a sudden, all these new generations, oh, yeah. know Living Color, their albums rechart and yeah. they make millions. The lead singer of Living Colors is forever now how thankful to punk because yeah. the money they have well, made. Yeah. Some of those, there was just a recent one. I don't remember who it was, but there's artists who all the time are like, thank you so much. Yeah. Like you got us trending. You got us, you know, like orange Cassidy used to come out to the pixies and yeah. now he comes out to Jefferson starship. Yeah. Jane, Jane. And like, it's cool. So WWE though, gets the real like shock value thing when they purchase a theme, like when they got called a personality for punk, it oh. was very weird yeah. because well, initially punk was kill switch and gauge. Yeah. Which Very was just heavy like a, metal. Well, they went through this phase of 
paying bands for original themes, kind of getting, I think they were in a transition period post Jim Johnston and they like, yeah. we're going to pay some of these real bands. Give us to, a couple tracks and we'll yeah, figure it out. Code Orange Kids and like some of these other yeah. ones where they were like, we'll give you some, you know, we'll the make H some blocks. tracks. H blocks, exactly. Yeah. So when they actually pay money for a theme, it's like wild to me. Now, AEW, Tony Khan seems way more willing to like Kansas go and get a theme. Yeah. Kansas, a bunch of them. He's, he has a bunch. You're number one. So my number one, and I know you thought Simply Ravishing would be here, but this theme I is my number one of all time. It's the Rock's heel run is yes. Hollywood Rock in Hollywood 2003. Rock. Yep. It's Holy shit. So Rock comes back. This was his last, well, second to last big stint before the whole scene. Oh, you mean before the whole controversy with Rock right now? Did you hear about it? What now? So with Black Adam, they were supposed to be the the stinger at the end. And the Rock used his executive privileges to shoot it all down. And then I I just, I don't understand the ego of The Rock to be like, I'm going to save the DCU. I'm going to set up a character. I'm going to change this character's whole being and turn them into something they're not. And like, and then James Gunn's like, Nope. Yeah. No, I We're mean, he, here. he, Black Adam was like, going to be a villain for Superman, but then he was like, no, he's going to team up. He's going to be a good guy. It's like, like, that's not how it works. And then he shoots down. I mean, yeah, weird. It's weird. Sorry for the team. No, you're fine. So all of a sudden Goldberg comes into the situation, into the WWE. Oh, great. Goldberg fucking whatever. Black and white trunks. So Vince is like, well, we can't have Goldberg be a heel. He has to be Free a agent face. Goldberg. Free agent Goldberg. Santa Slay Goldberg. Exactly. Check that out. We covered that over Christmas. So The Rock is like, I'm a good heel. Let's do the heel thing. Rock shaves his head completely because he held the hair on way too long. Yeah. Got the Samoan tribal tattoo over his chest. And I'll never forget when The Rock came back. You have this Titantron scene where it's literally downtown Los Angeles. You have a helicopter fly yeah. over it. And then all of a sudden, it's just a low build. And you hear, it's cooking. It's just the best way to take a speedy face theme, lower it down, and make it a great slow heel beat. Perfect. I will tell you what I like so much about that theme, because I I didn't pick it again. I knew you would. Yeah. So Stone Cold, iconic theme, glass breaks, bo-dum, bo-dum, bo-dum. disturbed. You know, yeah, <laughs> you come out until they did disturb. Yeah. One other wrestler, which I'll get to in a second, that does it, but there was an evolution to the Rock's theme. So like he went from uh, Nation Domination, well, slow before that, whatever. Yeah. The first Rock theme theme was like an artificial sounding version of what it became. And Pretty like, much. And then they added the do you smell with rocks cooking over time. Every, Raise the BPMs is more yeah, you can every, face. Exactly. Every year or so they like add a little bit or like replace an instrument or tinker and like every year it got a little bit cleaner and crisper. And then the the magnum opus was the the Hollywood rock theme. It was like so the great. supreme version of what they had been building to. The other wrestler that they did that for was The Undertaker. Oh, yeah. So, because the original Undertaker theme was just literally Normal. some bells and like the funeral procession. That's it. And then they started to, by the time they got to like corporate ministry Undertaker, he's chanting. Yeah. It was like, yeah, there were so many different versions of that Undertaker theme. But yeah, but like Austin, his theme was untouched. It just like, they changed it when he did the alliance angle. Yeah. It was a speedier uh-huh. heel angle, but it was stupid. But like sometimes we talk about, and a lot of people do this in real life, you pair this alcohol with this food, it's it's a tremendous thing. 
thing. Yeah. You pair the Hollywood Rock theme and it's WrestleMania 19 entrance yeah. for the length. Wow. Yeah. My number one, not even technically a wrestling theme, but wrestling adjacent. No Holds Barred by Jim Johnston. No Holds Barred! It's got the fucking best bass line. I always wanted to start a hardcore band just to cover this song. <laughs> Do like a hardcore cover and No Holds Barred. Uh, Jim Johnston was the music dude for WWE for a long time. Like, dude is responsible 30 years. for so many. And I remember, like, kind of his WWE Confidential or whatever weekend show. I remember they do behind the scenes on Jim Johnston composing. In his studio. Themes in the studio with his bass. And the Warrior dude. theme. Yeah. yeah. Warrior theme for me is a, is a tough omission because, God, that song gets you so jacked. So amped. And then he was blown up by the time he got yeah. to the ring. It's Makes fantastic. sense. I love the No Holds Barred theme. It's just so ridiculous. But then after Jim Johnston, they went through through like some transitional periods and then they had is CFOS. Yeah. And then uh, they lost their contract with them and that got them in a mess because sucked. Anyone that had music by CFOS, they wanted Sasha's theme was so good. They wanted Royalty. royalties on it and WWE said no and then they slowly started replacing with shit with themes and like I know a lot of people complain about Gargano's current theme oh, it's... because it's like a bootleg version of his old theme. Yeah. Yeah. So honorable mentions. We mentioned Hogan Real American Hogan Voodoo Child. Oh, awesome! Job come, down with the edge of yeah. hand. He'd come out the to guitar play. Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, Voodoo Child. It was awesome. And you know, speaking of Hogan, and we talked about like simply ravishing his first WCW yeah. thing, American Made. Yeah. Oh my God! That first, uh, I always used to think is Eric Bischoff singing it, but that <laughs> I don't know why. But then that, that first, like he's a man. You know what I thought as a kid? I didn't know. I couldn't understand what they were saying initially. I didn't know he was saying he was American made. I always thought they were saying, he's a man they call man. A man they call man. Uh <laughs> Got to mention it, Drew McIntyre, Broken Dreams. Ah, oh, so good. And he, he, br- he used it one yeah. time. He brought it back for the Celtic show. I bring it back all the time. We mentioned CM Punk, Mr. Um, Kantare. NWO. Yeah, NWO. And then some, we talked about how cool it was that ECW used original theme or used, you know, real bands. Yeah. But what we didn't talk about was the few original themes that ECW had. You had Taz doing a War Machine knockoff. Yeah, which was Kisses initially. Yeah, which with kisses but it was like a knockoff he of kiss. added to talk so good. i like to think it's because kiss probably was like the one band that <laughs> sued them no gene simmons off. gene simmons somehow heard about it yeah. like the night that uh gene simmons danced the top <laughs> the sabu theme uh, i sabu. used to so ear piercing like I would, I had 12s in my bedroom and I would turn them like, I turn it up to 56 and I'd play the Sabbath theme. My ears would bleed. And then ECW had another great one. Simon Diamond, Simon Says. Fucking, I went out and bought, <laughs> yeah. I had to search for Drain STH. Yeah, Drain STH. Fucking amazing. Uh, awesome fucking theme song. And my last honorable mention, and we have to go today recently Roman Reigns' heel theme is fucking amazing I couldn't even tell you what it sounded like it is so good you have like a choir singing in the background but his entrances I shit you not last between 6 and 11 minutes long that's great because of the walk that's absolutely it's a heel theme All right, uh, that was very fun we should do more wrestling stuff on this podcast we should uh, we have some more wrestling things to talk about but we gotta get back in the pool to do that All right, you ready to do the one thing to do in a pool American way! All right, huh? Oh, fan. 
Fantastic, guys. Fantastic. Great teamwork. Just great. There's just a couple of little things that uh, we need to work on. Nothing major, nothing we can't fix. But, uh, wait a minute. You're not hurt, are you? Never felt better in my life, Harry. Great. Now, look, Rick, you gotta, you gotta tighten up on the, uh, uh... Armbar. Right. Oh, and listen, we have to, have to talk about outfits. You know, I mean, my wrestlers have gotta have... Style. I mean, after all, you know. Oh, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute here. Maybe I could talk to Nike about a tie-in. Oh. Big Carson. Big Carson. Yeah. Well, who's that? Another wrestler? Because you know I'm uh, kind Big of. Big Carson, uh, Harry. Huh. Has another talk show on TV. TV. Right. Oh, you mean Johnny Carson? What are you gonna give me, Lance? <laughs> I'm gonna give you head and then al snow came out to prodigy uh, prodigy yeah critical question we touched on it earlier when did you realize professional wrestling was a performance and not an actual fight so you go ahead and tell us yeah about the time you were a 13 year old boy i was 13 years old and for the long how how did you i'm a fucking idiot so for the longest time and maybe i wasn't 13 maybe a little bit younger maybe 11 or so but i can remember watching this i mean my parents would take me to house shows and i'm thinking my parents thought that i was wise to things but were your parents wise oh to they were because completely, I mean, apparently they dirk benedict didn't yeah know. They, they were not m harry smilak at all i did had no smilax in my family but i think i was watching a match where i saw a punch completely whiff and yeah. they sold it i'm like wait a minute what why that didn't hit him and he completely went for it and then i started putting two and two together and i will never forget i had wrestling figs threw him the fuck out i had magazines wow. threw him the fuck out i had wwf stickers i had a blue locker literally like a locker in school i went out onto that locker and i took like a knife or something and i scraped up the the stickers holy I was, shit and i still have that blue locker at my parents house with the stickers all fucked wow. up wow i revolted and i didn't watch wrestling for like six years after that wow attitude era brought me back that's absolutely crazy i was so pissed i was over i it. no I, i'm not gonna be like i'm very smart i don't know if i ever really thought about it in terms of real or fake for me like but the thing it's probably because like one of the first things I really remember from wrestling and something where I definitely was like, yeah, the undertaker ultimate warrior feud. And what was that? 91. Oh yeah. And like the vomiting. Yeah. Just like all the vignettes and like warrior being in a cave. I, I think I was able to just use my brain and see through sort of like, Oh, this is like a movie. It's like a live, like it's theater. It's theater. Soap this opera. is Yeah. Like it's not. And, and maybe I thought like the in ring stuff was real and that stuff was scripted or whatever. But I just was like, yeah, this is pretty far fetched. I think I realized pretty quick. I don't think I ever really cared or bothered because, you know, people still in 2023 are trying to use, damn it, trying to use the it's fake. How do you watch that fake crap? I don't know. How do you how do you watch Iron Man? Like exactly the same. How do you watch anything like it's a scripted performance? How do you do you go to theater? Do you watch movies? Somebody probably would have been a good wrestler. Mr. David McCall. Hey, Hulk Hogan. Guess what? I'm coming to WrestleMania. I'm going to win that title, okay? And guess what? I can eat all the sushi in the fucking world. It all could have been different, Mr. Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. Got two absolutely huge issues with this movie. We probably share it. One, M. Harry Smilak is never likable. No, he's not. Never becomes more likable. Listen, kid, you know, you're, you're becoming a real pain in the ass, you know? So here's the way it's going to be. You're going to get off my back and stay away from my cars. Now, this beauty here cost me 85000 Now, one little nick on that baby 
And you'll be back in Japan before you can say Egg Foo Young. Egg Foo Young is Chinese, Mr. Smirik. Korean different. He's a piece of shit. He fails upwards. And yes, but he just, his circumstances become better. He never gets a redemption arc. Okay. So why didn't we get five o'clock shadow, disheveled hair, Harry realizing like, Hey, I've been scamming people and lying. It's time to make things right. Being a bad person. I'm going to make things right and do this. He never becomes a better person. He just continues to scam people and cheat. And I so thought at the very beginning, he goes to the car lot and John Aston plays that character. Yeah. 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 He rips them off car after car after car and yet he suckers him again with i think billy joel tickets or something like that he's playing at he the tells forum him that springsteen's in springsteen seventeen hundred dollars for the ferrari but you didn't get the check no no check come on there's four thousand dollars the insurance company had to pay for the loaner car that you reckon and then there's the little matter of my waiting in a restaurant for hours and hours and hours for some hollywood star that was supposed to show up and spend wait, wait, a night I, with this me. is unbelievable you know i tell you i come here to do you a favor and you jump all over me you gonna do history. me a favor that's right i just happen to have four tickets and two dates to a bruce springsteen concert tonight and i immediately thought of my good friend scotty you know Thought maybe we could double up and, uh, you know, have some laughs, but no, no, no. I don't want to cause you any problems, so forget it. So he's like, I got these tickets, but hey, hey, hey. Yeah, and it ends up being some stupid joke. It's I, like Jewish clog dancing or exactly. something. Exactly, and I was hoping, like, at the end, he would go back to him and go, hey, man, you know, I just came off this tour. I realized a lot of things. I owe you this. Because you know he's getting cuts off this rock and wrestling tour. It's the biggest yeah. thing in the country. Yeah, the car dealer, he's the most uh, gullible. gullible person ever. It's just so ridiculous. The next one, and probably even, I mean, because we've watched some movies where the lead character just is a piece of shit and never is redeemable. And like, it's sort of like when you rewatch Saved by the Bell. Yeah. There's very rarely ever times where you're like, oh, Zach really turned it around and did the right thing. Never did. No, he's never always... Did, yeah. It's kind of a piece of shit. And asshole. everybody likes him. The biggest logic. What's the story with Rick's niece? Does she go to school? He seems to have full custody of his niece. No parents are mentioned. Never. No custody arrangements are mentioned. No one has a problem with this eight-year-old girl, like, living the brother lifestyle. And she's running the books. Yeah, she's running the books. They live in a car. How is she running books? She doesn't go to school. She doesn't know how to run she books. She doesn't go to school. Exactly. Like, it makes... Like, please explain this to me. Why is... Why... Like... It's Where's not, the truancy it's officer? not his daughter. I mean, no. maybe it's summer, but like when it's not summer, does he not wrestle? Because why does he have custody of his niece? Was there going to be a body slam too in which they all live together? It's like my two dads, we my could, three dads. Again, one of those things that's so frustrating and worked so well for logic because it could be explained in one sentence, but they didn't bother. They could have just been like, parents are ex. Therefore, she comes with me in the summer. Even in the wizard, we got juxtaposition of why Haley is just bumming yeah, around the country. Because yes. her dad's a truck driver. Yes, mom like, left a long time ago. Just give us some throwaway five seconds. That's all you need. She comes with me in the summer. She's my right hand book person. Yeah. I like to have her by my side. And we technically don't know if this is in the summertime because it's Southern California True. where it always looks like summer. True. It could be winter. No sense. She skipped out on school. No sense. Harry's down on his luck. He owes all this money. 69 grand. Nice. But his friend decides to give him the gig for, I believe his name was Norton Wilshire, the senator. Yeah, Norton Wilshire. He's a piece of shit guy. A mindless politician because when oh, you meet him 
Don't you love Smilak though? Calling Norton Wilshire a piece of shit. Yeah. And Smilak's like the worst dude. Calls him a piece of shit. It's like the pot calling the kettle black. Mm-hmm. But what I don't get is the politician itself is not going to ask directly who is going to be performing at my my coronation yeah. or my nomination thing, whatever. Don't you think that not just as his attorney being his friend eliminate him from the situation, he would have people on his campaign going through all these people and rehearsing them and seeing who's perfect for that but needing valid proof of who's going to be performing i'm bringing in streisand if i'm going to be a representative campaign i'd be like well can i talk to barbara yeah you're just going to let him show up and say i got all these people for you don't worry about it yeah. sight unseen no fucking way come on i, I do like when norton Mosher goes to the wrestling show and <laughs> he gets interviewed for the news and uh he's just like D- i'm amongst my people like he takes the politician route of oh yeah these are my people read these the cue card constituents. yeah so the first time we see kick is like 41 minutes in the movie. It's when they were kicks. It's when they were still kicks. We know our stuff is great. What we need is management help. Yeah. Like somebody who will pay us instead of the other way around. Guys, you wound me. What do you think is the number one thing on M. Harry Smilak's mind? M. Harry Smilak. No, 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 no. The future of kicks. That's what. You know, I never stop thinking day and night, night and day, thinking of ways to make you guys famous. Harry, bottom line, do we have a gig don't? And so next, why do they randomly decide to change kicks to kick? I mean, it can't be for that bad throwaway joke no. where the guy from Rolling Stone is asking, because they're in Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, because the kid from Almost Wait a minute, Famous got two movies in a week. Two Rolling movies. Stone magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Why did like, oh, they're just kick now. And he's like, well, if you don't mind, I'd like to take just a few minutes of your time and maybe that of your wrestlers and your band kicks. Uh, actually, that's kick. No X. Well, what happened to the S? Well, you know, when you're in the big time, you need a big time name. I mean, you know, whoever heard of the Kisses, the Who's. How about the Beatles? Yeah, right. But then he's like, uh, how about the Beatles? And he's like, oh, yeah, the, the Beatles. Beatles. So the Rolling Stone writes an article on him. Um, how far did Elmo and the dudes from that show travel to see the title match? <laughs> Where do we assume that that show is? So they go out, they go out in the middle of nowhere. It's a place that's having like an artificial insemination night for the cows. Definitely farm country. And it's farm country. And they can't, he ends up double book because the guy has a computer. It's a big reveal that he has a computer that he keeps his calendar. He's so smart. And, um, but he accidentally double books them, which is why the wrestling and rock get combined. And the wrestling show is not even a wrestling show. It's like who in the crowd wants to challenge. And then you have the skinny brother and then the fat brother Mm -hmm. and just the band her back and forth. That's a great scene there, too. Yeah, that's a really good scene. Number one on the list is Pee Wee Hutchins. Where are you, Pee Wee? Here I am, Elmo! Harry, I can't do this. You want to lose a thousand bucks? And joining Pee Wee is his brother, Little Will Hutchins. But then at the end... For the title match against Cannibals, Elmo and those little peewee and big peewee, whatever they're called, yeah. are there. How far did they travel to be at this wrestling show? Apparently, they're throwing money around to invite all these people in. You're telling me Flair showed up for free? No yeah. fucking way. I do love that scene with at Elmo's place, though, because Piper, Quick Rick's getting his ass beat by this big dude. He's just sitting it's on like him. like 400 pounds. He's sitting on, which I don't understand why he didn't flip him over and sit on him and pin and him. And pin him. But he's sitting on his back. Because it wasn't it for money. If you pin, yeah. you win X and, amount of money. And Quick Rick's 
is face down into the mat. Quick Rick's asking Smilex, like, hey, help me out here. Like, Smilex's like, I'll be right back. He's like, I got to get a pen. He's like, a pen for what? He's like, I'm going to sign this guy. So uh, maybe he does sign him. Maybe that's how uh, Body Slam 2 will follow those guys. We're still waiting. And then finally for me, that title match is maybe, what, a two-star match at best? It's Dave Meltzer would probably give it a star and a quarter. Star and a quarter. It's a bad wrestling match. It's a bad wrestling match, and it ends the movie tremendously bad. The best part is that Bruno punches a guy in the face for no reason. Bruno probably, how many years ago did Bruno pass? Not long. Not long ago. You think Bruno might have lived his whole life thinking that was a shoot thing? This guy really touched him, so he punched him. Pretty much. Bruno passed in 2018. So it's a couple years ago. Uh, five years ago. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a wild one. So what's the legacy of this movie? I will say something to do with, it's a time capsule kind of movie because it is literally a movie telling us that wrestling is real. Now, between this and No Holds Barred, I wouldn't even almost compare them because this one kind of like, they're both completely out of left field type things. No, but the WWF did parlay the whole rock and wrestling thing yeah. though. Yes, they did. Big time. No Holds Barred tries to present this battle of the tough guys like... <laughs> Like, so good. You know, Dookie. studio type of TV show thing. And this portrays wrestling on the same level as like rock and roll. Pretty much. I mean, it's making like analogous type of statement, but like, yeah, it, it is. There are a lot of wrestling movies and we're going to cover probably next season, this movie called Backyard Dogs. Oh, that back bar has a completely altered, warped perspective of what wrestling it's is. It's out there. I mean, there's a lot of wrestling movies and other than The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke, the Darren Aronofsky movie, very few wrestling movies get it remotely right at all. No, they're nowhere near it so yeah that's about all i've got for legacy i mean hal needham's final theatrical movie so they made fourteen thousand dollars yeah all right stick around for some plugs pool sceners once again thank you for listening to this episode of the show and don't forget as always like comment subscribe rate and follow apple spotify and podbean you leave us a five-star review and we read it on the air we'll send you out a bit of a prize also don't forget check us out on facebook instagram and Twitch. You guys are unsure how to get there? We have a one-stop shop now and it's called Linktree L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Pool Scene Podcast. If you guys would like to contribute to the show in any way, help for future content, maybe even put it towards a cup of coffee for us. There is a link at the top of the Linktree that will send you to basically a tip jar. We love you guys and thank you once again. And now... Back to Kevin. Final app guy used to be a ring announcer, right? Yeah! Hey, Jim, what's your thoughts on uh, WWE's current ring announcer? Mike Rome? No, the girl. Oh, I don't mind her at all. I, I, is there a lot of backlash because it's a female or you think it's that she kind of puts too much into it sometimes? She's my least favorite ring announcer of all time. Really? I can't do the, she just, yeah, that. That's what that. I don't like. It has nothing. Like, I like female ring announcers. I, it has nothing to do with that. Yeah, Dosh is really good. Yeah, Dosh is great. And, like, it's literally just the. Yeah. It's, Here's your WWE Universal Champion.
champion. I, there's just a fine line for me that you cross between being like, I, I don't like. Like boisterous. Now coming to the ring, hailing from Detroit, Michigan. You know, I don't. See, I love my Gary Michael Kopetsky. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's my best. Give me a nice balance of the fake happy to be here. Fake is the greatest the gold of all standard champion. Uh, so watch out for the choke slam. Best story ever. <laughs> um, I, yeah. So last week, uh, we hope you enjoyed the Mike Tyson episode. Yeah. Not on Mike Tyson, but Mike Tyson's punch out specifically, but Swim short. that one we actually recorded in advance. Cause I had a little bit of a procedure. I had to uh, go under and uh, get a colonoscopy, get an endoscopy and figure out I'm not just my my age thing, but just I had a couple things going on. Basically, a couple more things still outstanding to find out with testing, but I am absolutely fucking riddled with ulcers. Yeah. I have just ulcers everywhere. And they put me on like the most life-threatening medicine. So they put me on Christ. this. Uh, so basically ulcers will heal themselves. They will. Kevin, can you try to remove every bit of stress from your life? Yeah, well, right. That'll help. But ulcers will heal themselves. But as long as like I have acid reflux real bad. That ain't going to help. So as long as they're being doused in acid and like I have some corrosion of my esophagus where it meets my mouth and my esophagus where it meets my stomach. Ooh. It's eroded in both places. Yeah. There's been a change to some of the cells, but not cancerous or not precancerous yet. But the basically, so they, they put me on this like hardcore anti-acid pill that I, in reading about it, you're only supposed to be on it eight weeks and like strict about that because like, can't miss if it. you go past eight weeks, you're dead. <laughs> like if you, but it says take it once a day, they put it on me twice a day. Whoa, hardcore. And then like, but it's like, it's all these things that are like, could affect your quality of life for the rest of your life. But it's like, so it's scary. I mean, yeah, the side effects of these right. medicines. So taking this medicine, there's, it's supposed to wipe out all the acid and then the ulcers will heal. I'll be better, supposedly. So I was going to so, say, you're probably going to have to avoid hot shit, right? I ain't avoiding hot shit. <laughs> I'll fucking die. Fuck you. Eat Need my hot lungs. I wonder, I, I think what will probably happen is I'll be on that medicine until they think the ulcers are, are healed. But they did like a biopsy of some stuff and I'm okay. Pretty easy procedure. So those out you out there that need that procedure or those procedures just due to your age, go do it. Super yeah. simple. Colonoscopy time is coming up for me here in a couple years because my mom passed with colon cancer so my doctor said you know, we start doing this at 45 yeah. instead of 50 just to be on the safe yeah, side yes. so I'm gonna sit on the, the golden throne with my cell phone and a pillow yeah yeah it's pretty bad Ugh. and then the other thing I want to mention in the final app today is uh, so we've been rewatching. uh and I told my wife I was going to keep throwing her under the bus. We were watching Squid Game. She's cried four or five times. On Squid Game. Bald. Absolutely like, bald. I think one or two I did. I mean, a couple of them are kind of designed, I think, that way. Yeah. So I'll give her a pass on those. But like some of the stuff, I'm like, what? You don't even know this character. He's on the show for 30 seconds. I just hope. Don't make another season of it. We're good. Well, so that's where I'm going. So it ends. I mean, spoiler alert for those. It ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah. This is the thing. Season two isn't expected to hit Netflix until the earliest Christmas of 2024. Okay. Oh, okay. So I saw a recent interview with the creator 
creator. And I'm getting afraid that it's like a George R.R. R. Martin situation. Oh, no. Where it's like hammer it. George R.R. R. Martin was like, he just wouldn't finish the books. I mean, he still hasn't finished the Game of Thrones no. book. It got wildly popular. So basically, I think the creator was like, yeah, he literally said this in an interview. Yeah, I have an idea or ideas in my head, but I just haven't put the pencil to paper yet. So as of right now, they're trying to make season two, but the dude hasn't even wrote it yet. See, I'm good with the cliffhanger ending. I'm good. You like, are. You're I'm, fine. If it's I'm just fine. Make Create your own story. Because near the end of that first season, I'm kind of like, okay, I want this over with. Yeah. I'm done. I'm good. So move on. Squid Games was a top 10 streaming show in 94 countries. So wouldn't that wild success, like if you were like, why, like if this podcast took off and became like a top 10 hit, wouldn't we want to like dive in and like keep making content? And well, like, because we're going to get funding behind it. We would be excited it. about it. Yeah. So this guy and- gets this humongous wild success. And I think instead of producing more content, he's just probably enjoying the success of Taking season the money one. and run. He's like a lottery winner who goes yeah. broke. You know, he's just like, I'm going to spend every cent I I made on the lottery. Question is like, where else are you going to go with this? He was like, okay, we're going to have to do Squid Game on another island. There's another island. It's like Battle Royale 2. We didn't need another one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the second one is like, it's Hunger Games. I mean, but Hunger Games went a completely different direction, kind of. So I don't mind that as much. Could you find out? We'll we'll see. We'll see what happens next Christmas. Almost, almost a year and a half from now. And then we found out that probably the season two of Last of Us, Bella Ramsey said, is probably not going to come around till spring of 25. Well, she's jumping six years in age. Yeah. I mean, which is funny because she is, because I think she's, I think Ellie's 19 in the second They're going to split Last of Us Part 2 into two separate seasons. So okay. they're going to split the second game into two separate seasons. There's people who haven't got spoilers or read what happens in the second game are in for like the craziest ride. No idea. You don't. I know nothing what happened in the second game because I never played it. I only played the first game. Oh my God. And I forgot most of the stuff that happened in the first game. I think a lot of people are going to be like pissed and riot because it is not the, it's completely different. But then again, a lot of people bitched about part two because they didn't like part two as much they oh, like the original well, game. Well, yeah, something I mean, there are some significant things about season two that I could see people being like. The first season was tremendous. I that was so good. Probably already a quiet contingency of people fighting for them to take the reins and change the events of. A lot of people were like, well, fucking Abby better be strong Abby. She better be built Abby. And then they put a teaser picture with, you see a hand and it's a muscular arm. You're like, yeah. okay, we got strong Abby. Yeah, It's going to be a, a fun time time on social media when season two finally happens. In 2025, hopefully either A, social media is dead and gone or the world has ended. Yeah, there you go. I saw a Stranger Things poster image for the final season. A lot of people surprisingly are shitting on it. Just kind of like, please put it out of its misery. It should have ended after last season. Yeah. We're, we're good now. Misery. That's the thing about, you know, we talk about prestige television a lot. We just rewatched Succession, which is starting up here this, this next weekend and the final season. I love HBO shows. Yeah, Leftovers. There's so many good ones and they do a pretty good job of churning them out. But like when we were kids, TV shows just came out the next season. That was it. But now it's like, we've got three years in between seasons of shows and two years. And the thing is though, last of us, the first season, nine episodes, you have to remember back in the day, kids, TV first run first seasons would be 26 yeah. episodes in length. I mean, they'd be half hour, and half maybe, hour, sometimes even, 45 minutes, but even like the early shit, like quantum leap, that wasn't yeah. easy to shoot. No, that wasn't easy to nope. like find this guy. Like, and they would, 
pump those out. There'd be three months off for the summer and then yeah. boom, we're in the next season. It's just crazy to me that now the shows are allowed to go two and three years, years without now it. two exceptions, writer strike 2006, yeah. which ruined heroes ruined, almost a ruined lot lost. Of shows. Yeah. Lost at six episodes in season four. Yeah. And then COVID. So COVID had some production issues and some changes and, and some things that happened. So I'll give a pass on a couple shows that had a two or three year hiatus because those reasons but like right now especially if some but like netflix makes no sense they cancel things left you right know, and they cancel things that are successful they allow other things to go three years in between seasons it makes no sense we watched angela i got her going through all the rocky movies right now because she's never seen any of them mm-hmm. so i want to get to the point like and hey, then we can go see creed three we just got up to rocky four she did not like rocky four Oh my God. Did not like Rocky four. Cause there's no easy way out of that. Uh, I told her, I was like, this is an hour, 30 minute of a, a montage. I think that's one of the things she didn't like. It was like, it's montage. just a lot of montage. And I'm like, yeah. that's what makes it fucking great. Rocky in Siberia. And then I prepped her for Rocky five. I was like, just so you know, Sylvester Stallone rated this a zero out of 10. So yeah. you know what you're going into. Rocky five should never have happened. Is the shit stain on 10 movies. Yeah. I mean, like, because you've got, I mean, he was initially supposed to die at the yeah. end of in a parking lot. Fuck. Rocky, At least Stallone one didn't. four, good. Five, just terrible. Right the, sh- right the ship with six, six, which leads to Creed one. Uh-huh. And then... Creed 2, I didn't think it was that great. I wasn't that great, crazy about Creed 2. Creed 1, God. Amazing. Awesome. Creed 2. Heard Creed 3 is awesome. I've heard mixed things about Creed 3, but we'll see. And now, and so Stallone recently was talking about how he lost all the rights and stuff to the Rocky movies, and they did not allow him to make, because there was supposed to be a sequel to Rocky outside of Creed. Well, I heard that there still might be a possibility of another Rocky. He's trying. He has yeah. something written. Well, Rocky wanted to do, I don't want to spoil like too much. I haven't seen Creed 3, but I read about it a little bit. Or actually, I was a spoiler was yeah, forced up on Rocky got Rocky 5. Well, Stallone got Rocky 5 wrong for whatever reason. Horribly wrong. But the whole concept of that was like Rocky taking on a Rocky becomes Mickey. Yes. So I think he's always wanted to make that story and get it right. And it sounds like he had a script, but it sounds like Creed three borrowed a substantial part of what was supposed to be the, the final Rocky movie. Oh, okay. And they took it for a Creed and Stallone's not even in it. I mean, unless he makes like a cameo, a cameo. or something that I don't know about, but he's not in Creed. Hey, Adonis. So that's a little like, yeah, but it's these studio people. You know what I mean? They think they know what's best and he sure as hell don't. Also real quickly before we end up uh rest in peace, Lance Reddick. Dude, you know him from everything. 60 years old, natural causes. Yeah. He literally was just in John Wick 4. Hearing Keanu talk that, about Lance Reddick. It, that well, story. Story you about cry. Keanu on his birthday and his girlfriend, one? right? Yeah. yeah. What do you want to do? I want to go see Lance. Yeah. And the thing about Lance Reddick, like I never saw The Wire. I need to watch it. That's you do. sacrilege that I prestige don't. television. I know him initially from Fringe and I love Fringe. Lance Reddick played a character in the game Destiny. And up until like, like a week before he died, he was still actively playing Destiny. And they did this big online memorial service to his character. And it nice. was super sweet. Like his wife jumped in on that. It's amazing of all the things Lance Reddick was in. And he was just a tremendous actor. It's like, man, 60 and natural yeah. causes at six. Never know. Fuck. Never know. Yeah. Rest in peace, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. Everyone watch The Wire. Yeah, I need to. 
Just watch The Wire. It's yeah. awesome. I watched The Wire during COVID for the first time. It's the first thing I did when I got laid off was yeah. I said, I'm going to watch The Wire. For I got now. time now. And then I've watched it a couple times. because yeah. It's it's weird because The Wire is dated. It's very much dated, but it's also still fucking awesome. Relevant, too. Like, it's it's dated, but in a great sort of way. I and mean, Baltimore it, still looks the same. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. So... All right. Well, everyone, I'll, I'll end with this. Watch the wire. It's the American-